Welcome to the Final Draft Podcast. My name's Andrew Popel. Today, I'm joined by Shirley Lay. Here on the Final Draft Podcast, we love to explore books, writing, and literary culture. It means every week. After I broadcast Final Draft from the studios of 2SR in Sydney, where I'm dedicated to exploring Australian writing, I'm going to sit down with the authors. They're going to be debut authors. They're going to be established authors writing the books that you know and love. But the point of these conversations is to look deeper into the issues that are driving that author's storytelling. It's a way to discover more from the books that we love, because these are the stories that make us who we are. And here on 2SER, we broadcast from the lands of the Gadigal people. I record on the lands of the Darug and Gunungurra people. And I want to acknowledge the traditional owners of those lands and pay my respects to their ongoing connection to their lands. Acknowledging that these are unceded lands, that a treaty has never been made with Australia's First Nations. Now, today I'm joined on the show by Shirley Lay. Shirley is a member of Sweatshop Western Sydney Writers Collective. She has contributed to collections through Sweatshop. We have spoken on the show before. She took part in a panel, a great collection called uh, Racism. It was Stories of Power. But today, Shirley's got her new novel. It's her first novel. It is an incredible novel. It is called Funny Ethnics. It takes this incredible look at Sydney in a way you've never thought about it, the way you've never looked at it, perhaps a way you've never visited it. I just fell in love. It's terrific. So join me as we discover Shirley Lay's Funny Ethnics. Hello, Shirley. How are you? Good morning. <laughs> yeah, I'm good. I'm good. It's been it's been a big week, but, um, you know, kind of just absorbing everything that comes with releasing a book out into the world. It's my first time. So yeah, just taking it all in. Oh my goodness. Congratulations. I have, I have this thing when, you know, you, it's, it's so, it's so such a privilege to be sent books in advance. Um, and I have no idea when they actually sort of come out. So it's congratulations on this week. Oh, thank you. It's so fab. And it's, look, it's so great. It's so great to be chatting again. Um, I really enjoy, I mean, gosh, was that, was that during the big lockdown when we had that sort of panel? It was. Yeah, it was. And um, oh, I remember, I think, um, yeah, it was lockdown where we couldn't leave our LGA. Mm. Um, and so that was pretty intense. Couldn't see my family and all that sort of stuff. So, yeah, that was pretty full on, wasn't it? It really was. And, and gosh, that must mean that's almost a year and a half ago. So, yeah, all right, let's let's jump in. It is my pleasure to be welcoming to the show Shirley Le. She is a Vietnamese Australian writer from Yaguna, creative producer at Sweatshop Western Sydney Literacy Movement. Shirley's writing has been published in Kill Your Darlings, The Griffith Review, Mianjin. My old bio, Shirley has come on the show before. We chatted, uh, we chatted about a year and a half ago, and it used to say she was working on her debut novel. Uh, not anymore. It's out. We are going to be talking today about funny ethnics, Shirley. <laughs> The book is called Funny Ethnics. That's, I'm just going to clarify that. That's going to make for some great moments. Welcome to the show, Shirley. Thank you so much for having me, Andrew. So much has changed since we last spoke, and I'm really looking forward to talking to you about uh, Funny Ethnics. Uh, I am. I really am too. And, you know, like since I've already, you know, in introducing the book, saying oh, well, we're going to be talking about Funny Ethnics, it automatically kind of tickles that subversive kind of humor part of the brain so i'm going to jump to the point halfway through the actual interview that i've scripted 
and ask you about the title. I mean, in the book, you introduce kind of a comedy gala that your main character, Sylvia Nguyen, is going to, um, which is called Funny Ethnics and, and made up of a, um, a host of comedians. But what does, what does that title mean to you and, and what does you want it to say about the book? Funny Ethnics uh, to me is a title that references a group of people who are perceived by wider Australia to not really belong. I think ethnics is a very loaded term and it has been in Australian culture and Australian popular culture and so I really wanted to make that the forefront of the book so that when readers pick it up, they immediately are provoked and confronted. But also I hope they are curious to understand more um, why I decided to why I decided to write a book called Funny Ethnics. So the title is meant to be a little bit subversive and to reference the fact that there are groups of people who should be considered Australian but don't get considered to be Australian in Australian popular media. And often in Australian popular media, these groups of people are made fun of in one way or another. And so it's a title that references all of that. I've, I've said this in passing to a friend, but uh, she's not part of the writing community or anything like that, and she was taken aback by the title. I said, it's not ha-ha, it's ha-ha. It's, <laughs> it's meant to kind of ask questions and invite the reader to come into this space and talk about what it means to be considered an ethnic and what kind of humour surrounds that stere- those stereotypes around ethnics. You absolutely got me thinking about my understanding of the word ethnic and ethnics and sort of I feel like growing up as a, as a kid, there were definitely more pejorative terms that I'm not going to use on the airwaves. There is a great moment where Sylvia is chatting with a friend about um, their use of, of a range of different terms. And then if you, were, if you were sort of what we might not call now woke enough to know that you weren't supposed to use those terms, at least in company, you might use the term ethnic in a sort of like a, it's like a PASAG acknowledgement. It was almost like, you know, go yeah. back, go back a few decades. It was a little bit more accepted if you were talking in a, maybe an exclusively white space. The sort of term, like I think later on in, in the book, there's a great scene um, that I'm going to reference later, but um, maybe the term culturally diverse um, might replace ethnic in that kind of PASAG way. Like, we know we're not supposed to say other words. This is the word we can use. I am so fascinated by euphemisms in language. And I think that there's a humour to using euphemisms, especially in, I guess, more corporate environments. And I just love to explore that and to kind of rip those words apart to delve into the intent behind why those words are being used. And that is what really gets me going as a writer. And I've 
working on this manuscript, I thought a lot about how those kind of nice sounding words still hold the same sentiment that uh, a person using a less quote unquote politically correct term mm. is using. Yeah, it's kind of it's kind of that we still understand it's a slur because we see what's in your heart. <laughs> exactly. And for me, I want to see what's inside that heart. Mm. And that's what I want to bring to the surface in this book. I want to I want to then ex- expand. There is I want to introduce the story in a sec and I I definitely want to get to the questions that I actually wrote down. But now that we're talking about language, (laughs) I cannot ignore a good discussion about language. And one thing that I was really conscious of as I read Funny Ethnics was Sylvia, especially amongst her family, but whenever she meets another uh, Vietnamese uh, or Vietnamese Australian person, they are speaking in Vietnamese. And this is... um, recorded on the page and then Sylvia will kind of she'll she'll translate it for us. And what I wondered is for someone whose whose writing is as wonderful and clever as yours, are you slipping in euphemism and other clever wordplay that perhaps myself as a monolingual you know, speak, I only speak English. I don't understand Vietnamese. Are you slipping in stuff there that like for the people who know are gonna know? Yes, uh, there are some in-jokes in there. And the reason why I wanted to do that is, first of all, I have a lot of love for my fellow Vietnamese Australians. Secondly, I want to explore translation as a creative exercise. So I'm not approaching translation as some certified translator. Rather, I'm approaching translation from my perspective as a second-generation Vietnamese-Australian woman who isn't completely an expert on the Vietnamese language. I can speak, read and write, but it it doesn't mean I have some sort of... uh, I wouldn't be able to hold, like, a very academic conversation in Vietnamese. And so with translation, I wanted to show that that was the perspective that I was coming from. So I wanted to treat it as a playful and creative exercise as well. And I get to the book. Maybe maybe we can come back to this in the out. We'll do an outtake section. <laughs> you no know, I'm now, I'm now going to reread the book with Google Translate. Let's just put it that way. Um, see what I can discover. Google Translate, yeah, Google Translate's a funny one. I've tried using that to write birthday cards to my parents and, we get some interesting results out of that, Andrew. <laughs> <laughs> all, right, all right, here we go, here we go. Funny ethnics. <laughs> Sylvia has just dropped a bombshell on her parents. She's dropping law to focus on her writing. It's a blow few parents are equipped to take and Sylvia's are only too quick to remind her of their struggles fleeing Vietnam for a better life in Australia. As Sylvia's father points out, the perilous future awaiting artists, he's, he's not actually quite that polite in the way he puts it, Sylvia is going to take us on a trip through her life and the perennial clash between her dreams and the expectations of her family and community. So, I mean, I don't, I don't think that even begins to capture the full novel, um, Shirley, but I, I started, I couldn't not start with the fact that I actually had a really, I had the, ex- not really similar, I had the exact same experience as Sylvia um, telling my parents, so straight out like a, 
a year out of high school, telling my parents I was dropping out of law to focus on arts literature. Um, I still I rem- love that. I still remember my mum crying. Hi, mum, if you're tuning in. She does, she does occasionally tune in. Um, can you tell me a little bit, though, about what this moment means in Sylvia's life? Because I, I, I don't feel like my experience came with quite the same weight of expectation and history. I'm sorry that your mum cried and I'm glad that she still tunes into the show. Well, she, um, I, went into, I went into health and um, I'm a speech pathologist now and she's a nurse and now we have the oh. sort of conversations, we relate to each other on that level in a way that we never would have if I'd become a lawyer. I mean, let's face it, I probably wouldn't be having this interview with you, so I think I chose Fair enough. well. <laughs> you did. You definitely did. That moment in Sylvia's life is a turning point where she is done with following the rigid expectations of her community and she is growing as a person. I think Funny Ethnics is about growing as a person and this is the starting point of that for Sylvia. Is it then that sort of intersection of um, the the expectation, so people who migrate to Australia come with a reason, and I, I can't pretend to unlock that. That's not been my life experience, but they come with a reason, whether it be, um, you know, fleeing something, economic opportunity, beaches, like there's there's a million and one reasons. Um, and, and Sylvia has been brought up with those expectations, and this is the moment where she says, actually, I'm allowed to have my own. It's a it's an interesting moment because she the expectations that you speak of Sylvia's parents did flee from the Vietnam War they came to Australia by boat and so it's a really heavy history to for Sylvia to live with and so it's such an overwhelming story that up until that point she has carried that weight of her parents' expectations and made decisions based on pleasing them. And in the Vietnamese Australian community, I personally have felt the burden of that weight and also have had to make decisions for myself as an individual rather than for the rather than fitting into the expectations that that particular community has and the expectations that that particular community has for its younger generations, I think that does come from an understandable place. Uh, Coming to a country with no resources, uh, with no personal resources, I mean, um, and starting from the ground up is very difficult. And so the elder generations want the younger generations to thrive and their expectations of success revolve around being economically well-off and attaining a, a respectable social status. And so that is what Sylvia is carrying on her shoulders at, at this point in the narrative. And so for her to push back and want to make an individual choice I believe that's her more kind of Western upbringing and Australian side coming into play. This is a book about 
what it means to exist in that hyphen between Vietnamese and Australian. And we're starting to see Sylvia shift towards that hyphen in understanding how she can balance these both of these cultures to make life more fulfilling for herself. And so she makes a decision based on her individual needs and wants, and that's almost taboo in the Vietnamese culture because you're, it, it can be seen as selfish or you are very self-centered, you don't care about your family, um, but Sylvia has made that choice. And I think this is a shift in the narrative where she's inching closer to understanding that hyphen between Vietnamese and Australian. Mm. I like I like the, your use of the word thrive there. I feel like it's more open. It doesn't have the same baggage that a word like success carries with it. And I felt also that this is something that Sylvia is pushing back against. Um, so much of the book is concerned with um, Sylvia's education, where we're meeting her at a point in her life where she is perhaps seeing the end of it. So it's, it's very understandable that we move through. Um, and in her education, there is this expectation that she will excel. And it's wrapped up in what it means to be excellent. So to get into to get into Sydney Ladies College, Sylvia has to undergo <laughs> some of the most bizarre tutoring I've ever seen. There's a whole interview in that, I'm sure. Um, and the result of it was that she has an excellent vocabulary, but also that her parents complain about the fact that there is a writing requirement for the school entry, which is they 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 see as being kind of racist. Which it, I mean, it definitely is. Um, but this, this contradictory idea, because Sylvia is starting to thrive and she is discovering herself. I feel, I feel like this is her discovering something about the communicator, the writer in her. Can you talk about these contradictory ideas of, I've written success, but I like thriving now? <laughs> so, Sylvia, it's, it's, it's a point in the narrative where Sylvia, yes, she discovers something that she genuinely likes and she thrives in. But when it comes to the pressures of the selective test and quote-unquote getting into a good school, she has to use that passion in a way that really dims that light for her. And she has to, it's a point where she learns from a very young age that things that perhaps her craft at the end of the day needs to get her somewhere on that success spectrum. So that craft, she needs to think about how is this going to benefit me either socially, education-wise in terms of getting into elite educational institutions and how is that ultimately going to make me successful and make me money. And it's an interesting point in the book where she has to learn this from a very young age. And as a child, she molds herself to follow that path of success. So in the selective school exam, she chooses not to write a story that's true to her. Instead, she chooses to rewrite the, the Hollywood movie Blue Crush so with Kate Bosworth in it, which was um, a big thing at the time. Um, and so she, it, it, it's a humorous way to say that as, as a child, Sylvia has already learnt to make choices 
that push her ahead in a social aspect, but come at the cost of her individual growth. And linked also to this this feeling or Sylvia's feeling that she needs to succeed are, are these parental expectations we've already touched on that are tied up in history. Sylvia's mum does not miss an opportunity to tell her about what she would have been doing with her life in Vietnam, but for the war. And I feel like there is, um, call, it a, call it a stereotype about um, the children of migrants and the push to succeed and tutoring and all of these things that kind of exists in the, the sort of the social atmosphere. And it can almost create this idea that um, if you are, you know, a child of a, of a migrant background, that you are, um, you're going to be a lawyer, a doctor, a banker, that perhaps the arts, perhaps creativity just don't exist but then there is this this wonderful anecdote that Sylvia has about an uncle who isn't what he is an artist or he's perhaps not as not as much spoken about in the family because of his artistic tendencies can you is that something that that existed in your life this sense that being who you were meant that you would become a part of a very small sort of range of careers or was there was there a sense of um, a broader uh, future if you chose it? The parts of the book that talk about that uncle that Sylvia has who is pursuing his own artistic interests and the parts where her mother talks about, talks quite wistfully about what she would do if she had the educational opportunities that Sylvia has. I... I worried when I was writing the book that at those parts, I worried that I was falling into stereotypes about elder migrants kind of putting those expectations on their children and things like that. But I have, I hope that in those parts of the book, we see Sylvia's mother's story as well as someone who wishes or someone who is constantly asking the question, what if? What if my life turned out differently? And I like to believe that through those moments, Sylvia gets to have more of an understanding of where her mother is coming from and as a result of that, more compassion and more closeness with her mum. Personally, I have felt all of these emotions where... I have felt guilt at the choices that I've made, but also compassion for my elders and why they perhaps perceive things the way that they do. So with reference to Sylvia's uncle, the that was, I hoped to show the audience that in that kind of family creativity and artistic <coughs> pursuits were seen as something that wasn't fruitful, mm. just not a fruitful thing to do and they don't really bother to understand why he's doing it or how that's going to benefit him at all. And that is an attitude that I have encountered personally many times in the Vietnamese Australian community, that art doesn't have a place in our community, that um, creativity isn't going to 
bring you success. It's faffing about. It's being a bludger. <laughs> I guess also encoded into this conversation and, and maybe what we see through Sylvia's mother's um, call them musings, call them complainings to Sylvia about what she would have done had her life not been disrupted is the the history of trauma that she's gone through, but also the the we don't talk about racism in Australia, racism that she's... I mean, of course, it makes sense that you would want to strive for success. You would want to strive to to be better because you've come to a place where you are not allowed to simply be and it plays out in I think Sylvia sort of talks about at one point um, in an interview she puts on her her model minority voice so that um, you know sort of you've got to do you've got to do twice the work to get half the half the recognition this all makes sense and perhaps in that way art isn't seen as fruitful because it's a true expression of self and a self that's already being derided just for you know being model <laughs> There is a point in the book as well where Sylvia's cousin, who is a doctor, he goes on this kind of rant about how the Vietnamese-Australian community definitely doesn't need artists at this point in time because at that point, just to give you a bit of context, at in the early 2000s, the Vietnamese-Australian community, representations of our community were kind of starting to shift uh, from the origins of like that Cabramatta story where it was all about, oh, you know, it's a cocaine central and Vietnamese Australians being involved in crime. I believe the early 2000s, it was starting to shift in terms of, oh, Vietnamese Australians, hardworking uh, and compliant and so when Sylvia's cousin, who is a doctor, goes on that rant and he says, when you feel respected, you feel human, I wanted to tap into that drive and that aspiration for success mm. uh, and that deep psychological need within the community that equates success with respect and respect as a human being, as an individual, and respect as a fellow Australian. Many people in the community believe that that is something that you need to earn in a country like this. And to earn it, you need to follow that very strict traditional model of success rather than breaking out of it and do, being an artist because in the community itself, I don't think artists get the recognition that they deserve, uh, oftentimes they're derided as just there for entertainment. But I, I, would like, I would like this book to be a conversation with the Vietnamese-Australian community mm. about also having respect for artists and seeing the value that they bring into their lives, yeah. into people's lives. I think a part of that that conversation about respect is also the way we the way we engage with the sort of you know the racism we don't talk about Australia is not a racist country and how it how it can shift and evolve like this idea that if you work hard you can earn that respect but perhaps the goalposts are always shifting and and racism in the novel I mean it, it runs the gamut um, 
I wanted though, I wanted to talk about librarian Regina Renee. Um, she's a hipster vegan who seems to have no problem picking and choosing cultural artifacts to appropriate. Dear, dear listener, Shirley's already laughing. <laughs> she, she knows where I'm going with this. Um, she's appropriating cultural artifacts whilst paying lip service, lip service to diverse communities. And like Regina's really funny to read on the page, but she also feels like a parody that's just maybe too close for comfort. I wondered in this depiction, are you more worried about bigots throwing bricks through windows or are you worried about the Regina Renees of the world with their kind of twee take on cultural identity? I'm worried about both the brigots, not the brigots. I'm worried about the bigots throwing bricks and I'm mm. worried about the Regina Renees who are twee in their large wooden beaded necklaces. I, for me, racism, I believe it's so interesting in the way that it's represented in Australian media. I believe it's often the focus is on the brick throwing, like mm. physical acts and perhaps direct verbal abuse, things like that. But I wanted to also just, I also wanted to explore what racism means when it's under the surface. Mm. And I think Re Regina Renee, that character, is a classic example of the well-read, well-spoken white Australian who is still racist and is still covering up those thoughts with pretty language and lots of linen and also cutthroat decisions in the office. So I wanted to bring all of that to the surface and also have that conversation with wider Australia about expanding our understanding of racism and how it impacts people of colour in different spaces. One of the ways that you are engaging, and we've just both had a really good laugh at Regina, is through the humour in the book, Funny Ethnics is a Funny Book. It can also be really hard to know how to talk about humour here, um, and not, not because it's a controversial topic, but it's sort of like, it's like when you hear a good joke and you try and retell the joke, um, and you get it wrong, and all, you also, like, not only is the joke wrong, but you look a bit stupid, you know, you're a numpty in, in the retelling. So I was hoping you could tell me a little bit about engaging with humour in the book. I mean, is, is Sydney just an inherently funny place with its contradictions? I do find Sydney an endlessly entertaining and funny city to live in. I find the divides in Sydney extremely interesting, especially the that charcoal chicken line and how it's kind of divided Sydney into different parts. Uh, and there are just so many interesting and funny characters in Sydney that I can't help but not to bring that playfulness and that humour into this book. I wanted to explore humour as a proper literary device. Um, I do believe that if you're writing literature, you, do, you should engage in the craft in that way. And so humour has always been something so fascinating to me because there are many different ways for people to laugh. It can range from snickering at someone to an out loud belly laugh that is 
released into the world without abandon because someone genuinely finds joy in a moment. And so I also wanted to cover that gamut of humour where you're being laughed at or you're laughing at someone. What does that all mean and what are the other emotions that that laughter inspires? Do you was was humor always um, a part or a goal of the writing? I mean, I, I feel like parts of the book you approach with a comedian's eye. Like I I wasn't sure if I was picking it, but there felt like there were callbacks. Like there's a great moment earlier in the book where Sylvia's dad complains that they should have bought. I think he says they should have bought in Marrickville instead of Yaguna because of the property prices. And then towards the later part of the book, there's a a great um, sort of memory of Yaguna on the up and a. And if, I don't know, a Tarakash wearing real estate agent knocking on the door and Sylvia's mum sort of pulling the no English card to just get him off the property. And that, like you were playing, if I am reading the callback there, you are playing the long game with that. I, 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 am, I am fascinated with comedy as an art form and I have closely watched the way uh, quote-unquote ethnic comedy has unfolded in Australian popular culture. So from fat pizza to comedy shows like the one described in Funny Ethnics, I wanted to see how that evolves or how it doesn't evolve. Um, and I wanted to engage with some of that myself but also subvert it in a way that is still empowering to the characters in Sylvia's book because I think there is something quite funny in being in in marginalized spaces where you try and engage where you try and engage with the dominant culture but you continually fail to adapt and I think that there are funny moments in that and I wanted to hone in on those moments. I'm Shelley I'm at a this this really wonderfully difficult point of the interview where I feel like there's a couple of directions I want to go in. I, I we're talking so much about Sylvia but I don't know if we've given her as a character enough um, enough time. Uh, and especially just her, her journey into identity. But I also, I've got a whole stu- bit, bu- bunch of stuff I want to ask you about books and literature and the way you use that. Like, uh, this is multiple choice, Shelley. Would you rather talk more about Sylvia or would you rather get into sort of books and literature and references? What, what, we, we can do both, but which one would you want to go first? I think in exploring Sylvia, I can also hit point B. Oh, amazing. And then I'll, I'll weave a few questions in as well. Because, like, the thing that I loved about Sylvia is her very relatable, like, almost ordinary journey into identity where she explores she explores fashion, she explores um, the way she wants to represent herself. She has a in, – in Tammy, she has a friend who literally see, seems to try on, you know, costumes of identity and Sylvia really can't – she struggles to get on board. So much of this this trying on of identity is something that I think anyone who ever was a teenager ever um, will will identify. They'll see something relatable in that. But for Sylvia, it also seems very bound up in expectations of who she will be in her community and, and what that will mean for her success. I was really interested in the way that that sort of portrayal intersected. 
So Sylvia is a hero who is constantly self-doubting and thinking. And there's a line in Funny Ethnics that says, my fate was sealed like Hamlet's. And so Sylvia is a character who doesn't really engage with anything that she's learning in a elite educational institution, but yet she makes that literary reference right there. And it's because Hamlet speaks to Sylvia and his journey as a hero speaks to her. And Hamlet is also a character in literary history that is always umming and erring and always asking to be or not to be. And so I wanted to reflect that in Sylvia's journey where she is also asking to be or not to be and what to be. So that is how, I'm not sure if that answers your question, but Sylvia is also umming and erring and ooing and ahhing and figuring out what it means to be her. And it's a difficult process, but I have tried to make it a, a um, entertaining one at that. She's having fun. I know, and she's I, having a hard time, but she's having fun. And I love, I love the the process, the journey of of exploring literature to explore identity. I think it's part of why I do what I do. I think it's why listeners are tuning in. I was interested, though, in like, because I mean, Hamlet, in, as far as role models go, I don't think we get whiter than Hamlet. And I was interested then how Sylvia looked to uh, representation closer to home. In the prologue, there's uh, a little moment where um, discussion turns to uh, Nam Lay's winning of, it was uh, the Prime Minister's, little Prime Minister or Victorian Premiers, I've just forgotten. I believe it's the Prime Minister's, Prime Minister's Literary Award. And he is held up as a successful Vietnamese-Australian artist. But then, even then, Sylvia kind of doubts herself as her Googling reveals that maybe he's actually more successful as a professional gambler. Um, and I wondered, like, sort of popping that representation in, is it is it a case that we are seeing a shift in Australian writing, say, in particular, or that perhaps prominent non-white writers are still they're still standing out on their own enough that they have to be seen to representing a whole community. I did want to engage in conversations about how Australian writing is changing. I do, on a personal level, yes, I do believe that Australian writing is changing and it's going in a direction where it's changing for the better, where voices like mine are more at the forefront and being recognised and things like that. I think at that point in Australian literary history where Nam Le took that award or, or won that award, he was at an interesting, it was at an interesting point in the conversation where it was kind of about, oh, Nam Le can write from many different perspectives and that is the mark of a truly talented writer. Mm. But I believe now we are at a point in the conversation where we champion own voices, mm. where it's actually, it's actually brings more depth to your craft when you write 
and drill down into what you know from your personal kind of standing in society. And so I wanted to look at that in in the book and I wanted to, I didn't want to kind of shut out the fact that this is a character who wants to enter the conversation but she also needs to respect that there have been other voices in the conversation from Namle to Vietan Nguyen and that she can have a conversation with those voices as well. I wanted to ask you about your own journey into your, I guess, your joint journey into your own voice. I um, I was reading a profile of you by Stephen Pham in Liminal Magazine, and in there you you talk about rediscovering an old story of yours. Um, and in the profile you say it made you gag because you perceived that it was it was written for white tears and white laughs, and I I won't speak for you, but I have a sense that funny ethnics is. Not. <laughs> how is how is Funny Ethnics, uh, I guess, a movement in your voice and what what do you see in your evolving voice now that, you know, this novel is in the world? Before I joined the Sweatshop Writers Collective, I was studying writing at university and university, the education was valuable in terms of the how of writing, but I hadn't really touched and I hadn't really explored the why of writing. Why was I writing? That's the question that really I didn't have the space to find the answer for it before I joined the Sweatshop Writers Collective. And so my voice in that time period where I wrote that story that I then have felt gross about, in that time period I was writing as I thought a serious writer would. Um, and I thought that my place in Australian literature was always to look back at the mother country because those were the kinds of texts that were on the curriculum at that time, and I thought that was my place, that I needed to look back at Vietnam with some sort of lens that was smeared with Vaseline and look at it, through a very kind of romantic but also condescending gaze. And so I I imbued that spirit in the stories that I was writing at the time. And, yeah, I was catering to a certain gaze because I thought that that was how I was going to be able to participate in Australian literary culture. After joining Sweatshop, I started to feel more empowered to push back against the stereotypes and against that kind of hazy, romantic but condescending way of talking about non-white cultures. Being in a space with other writers of colour was so powerful in helping me come to voice. And that voice that I've found, it's not only... It's not only um, a voice of resistance, but it's also kind of incubated the spirit of who I am as a person. So second generation Vietnamese Australian, but also from Western Sydney. And I think in Western Sydney, there's a playfulness in the way that we talk. There's a boldness 
in the way that we communicate with each other. And I wanted to have that in my literary voice. And so it was important for me to really push back um, in in terms of sounding like a like a hoity-toity uh, literary kind of, you know, pro- sounding proper and stuff like that mm-hmm. is what Sylvia would say. So I didn't want to sound proper and stuff like that, but I still wanted to. I I believe in saying impactful and meaningful things in a very simple and playful way. That is the voice that I aim for when it comes to my art. Funny Ethnics is out in the world now from Affirm Press. I'm speaking with Shirley Lay, uh, the author of Funny Ethnics. It, what, an, what an amazing conversation, Shirley. You've been so generous with all of my questions. I had a million more, but I think people need to go and check you out, check out the book, and, um, and think through some of these ideas themselves. I appreciate your time today. Appreciate your time as well, Andrew. Thanks for having me on the show. Thank you so much for joining me here. That is it for this conversation with Shirley Lay. Her new book is Funny Ethnics. It is incredible. I hope you got a good sense of that. Thank you so much again to Shirley for joining me today. Final Draft is recorded on the lands of the Darug and the Gunungurra people. The show is produced... Produce, <laughs> I'm going to say that again. The show is produced and presented by Andrew Popel. It is terrific to be in conversation with you as well every week. Please give us a shout out, finaldraft at 2SER.com. If you want to send us an email, find us on the socials. I love to hear from other book lovers. If you subscribe, if you want to get more, you can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. There's a couple of episodes that come out every week. There's a bonus, there's an interview. My name is Andrew Popel. It is time for me to say goodbye for another week, but I will be back with more incredible conversations from Australian authors here on Final Draft. Till then, happy reading. Bye for now.